And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We thank you so much for joining us. Last time, we began to consider Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Today, we continue that study with verses 19 and 20 as our focus. Five professions of religious Jews will be seen. God meant for his Jews to be a blessing to the Gentiles. But instead, these Jews hated the Gentiles. And now, with his message for this morning, please welcome our very own Pastor Robert Elliott. And now, from the Jews' privileges, we go on in our passage to point two, the professions of these religious Jews. The professions of these Jews. What did these religious Jews openly profess to be true? Well, verses 19 and 20 tell us what they professed to be true as religious Jews. Five professions they made. Let's read uh, 19 and 20 first. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and of the truth. Number one profession these religious Jews made, they profess to be guides to the spiritually blind. That's in 19 part A. Second profession, they profess to be light to those who are in spiritual darkness. The second part of verse 19. Third profession, they professed to be instructing correctors of the foolish. Verse 20, part A. Number four profession they made, they professed to be teachers of the spiritually immature. Second half of verse 20. And last, they professed to be custodians of the law's knowledge and truth. The last part of verse 20. But as I said, there was a big problem, a hiccup in the engine, a fly in the ointment, a blemish on their faces. They hated Gentiles. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. In the Abrahamic covenant, Abram was told by God that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The Jewish people from the get-go were to be missionaries to the Gentiles. But they hated them. They called them dogs. And when Jews called Gentiles dogs in the New Testament, they weren't thinking of fuffy shampooed and trimmed and groomed little cute dogs, lap dogs. They thought of those forsaken dogs we see wandering around town. Sad to see them for me and my family. Flea-infested, diseased, garbage-eating, angry dogs, mistreated dogs. That's how Jewish people saw the average Gentile. They saw that person as a dog, not as a mission field. And accordingly, these Religious Jews who settled for form and not reality with Yahweh God, these Jews lived like isolated, arrogant snobs. Time and time and time again, these particular Jews stubbornly refused to answer Yahweh's call to them to be world missionaries to the Gentiles because they hated them. The Missionary, reluctant, that's an understatement. 
The reluctant Jewish missionary to Nineveh and its Gentiles, of course, was Jonah. At first, he didn't want to take the truth to the Ninevites because he was terrified of them. They were the ISIS of the ancient Mediterranean sea basin. Lopped off people's heads and made pyramids out of human heads that they conquered. At first, Jonah was a reluctant Jewish missionary to Gentiles because he was really scared spitless. But eventually his heart was revealed in a book that it wasn't just a fear for his own life that was an impediment for him taking the gospel to Gentiles was he hated them. He didn't want to see them get right with God. And when there was a massive revival with his very short sermon given by God, when he walked around the top of the flat wall of Nineveh and said that in a number of days God would judge Nineveh unless they repented, and there was a massive turning to the true and living God by these Gentile Ninevites. He was ticked. The Jewish missionary to the Gentiles was not happy at all that people found salvation and relationship with the true and living God there in Nineveh. And so he goes on the outskirts of town, and you know the story perhaps, he pitches his pity party and he pouts outside of Nineveh, basically telling God, you made a big mistake here pardoning these people. They're not Jewish. And they're nasty people. How could you do this, God? And you know what happened? God raised up a gourd. Gourds grow fast as it is, but God who made the gourd made it grow extremely fast. And this gourd with its broad leaves grew up over this ticked off and angry Jewish prophet and gave him shade in the scorching sun of the day. And he thought, oh, I love this gourd. This is a great gourd. And then God withered the gourd to make his point. And Jonah got so angry, so despondent, that he was actually suicidal. It's better for me to die than to see these Gentiles come into right relationship with you, God, and you took away this gourd. I liked it. God says, how can you have pity on a plant and have no pity or compassion on human beings who happen to be Gentiles? Maybe there's a little Jonah in some of us. But Jews who refuse to obey God and to take the truth about the true and living God to Gentiles were a bit like the fat fitness trainer or like the driver with cruise control on who gets pulled over for going 40 miles per hour over the speed limit. A missionary who refuses to be a missionary because he's a pompous, arrogant Jew is like the medical doctor who chain smokes, like the financial planner who declares bankruptcy, like the cop who has done time in prison. It's incongruous. It was incongruous. It doesn't fit. It doesn't line up. It's not right for someone in the Jewish heritage who knew the true and living God was the beneficiary of the covenants of God not to share the mercy and the love of God and the hope of God to the people he was sent to take that message to, the Gentiles. And oh yes, this passage clearly addresses these religious, pompous, arrogant, unconverted Jews. And by secondary application, church family that I love, this passage also addresses any of us who cling more to religion than to Jesus and who have a partiality and a prejudice about who really we want to be in heaven with. And so these religious and unconverted Jews, we've seen that they had privileges. 
to review, they had the privileges of a reliance on the law, a boast in the relationship with God, a knowledge of God's will, an approval of the excellent, and an instruction in the law. But that was not all. These unconverted, pompous, religious Jews also made certain professions of things to be true. They professed that they themselves were guides to the blind. They professed that they themselves gave light to the darkened. They professed that they themselves instructed the foolish. They professed that they themselves taught spiritual infants. And they professed that they themselves possessed the laws, knowledge, and the truth. But the problem was they hated Gentiles. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of You Talk. And today we want to continue on what we talked about last week. We talked about God calls us to forgive and how we need to forgive other people. And we think of, we looked at a Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And we want to look at another passage of scripture this morning. It is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And it says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Again, this this brings that same theme of Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, that God forgave us, so we need to forgive others. Paul was passionate about this. As we know, Paul wrote these two epistles, and, and and, and this was a problem even then for people to forgive. You see, throughout all of human history, people have been hurting God with their sin and disobedience, but he continues to offer forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You see, God forgave us by giving up His Son, His life, for us. As as while He, His Son hung on the cross, He said, "Father, forgive them." And we we know how much Jesus went through. The wrath of God was on Jesus for us, for our for our sin. Jesus Himself didn't sin, but He loved us so much that God Himself sent His Son to die for us. You know, when we consider this. We consider how in our lives, you know, God forgave everything. God forgave the worst in you so that you could learn forgiveness of others. So you can learn how to forgive someone. And I think that when we consider this passage and we consider how, you know, we looked at last week, and we talked about how we need this reminder so many times that God forgave us. Because I think that sometimes as Christians, we forget that. You know, I think that when we look at our lives and even as a teenager, you know, you think about it. There are so many times that we get upset and we get upset with our friend. We get upset with this person over the smallest little thing. You know, I know of stories and things in our Bahamian culture where people have been killed for the smallest thing. And probably a misunderstanding in in most cases. But we need to understand that as Christ forgave us, we need to forgive others. You see, following Jesus isn't just about believing what he said. It's about following his example. It's about recognizing that Jesus isn't just telling us to do something that he didn't do. He forgave us. So we need to forgive others. And again, don't forget what we said as we think of unforgiveness costed you something. But forgiveness sets you free. So when you extend forgiveness to a family member who has hurt you, even if they've never even apologized, you're not just doing it for them. You're doing it for you too. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's very hard to forgive someone when they feel like they haven't done anything wrong. They don't even see it. And they, they, they don't accept they did anything wrong. But we need to recognize that Christ himself forgave us. 
And we ourselves sometimes think that we haven't done anything wrong. But we need to recognize that this is what Christ has done. Unforgiveness will cost you something. Forgiveness is a big deal of God. It's such a big deal, in fact, that you can find forgive over a hundred times in the Bible. You know, forgiveness. Because he recognizes that we're going to need this. We're going to need to talk about forgiveness. And as we consider the family feud and we consider the, the different you know, problems in the family, forgiveness is such a big thing. And even with that forgiveness, you know, sometimes for us, we need to learn to apologize. I'm sorry for this. Never say, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm sorry, but you made me do this. No, 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 no. I'm sorry that I did this. Can you forgive me? And I think that that's our problem today. Our problem is, is that we need to humble ourselves. And we need to humble ourselves to be like Christ. As he forgave us of everything. He forgave us of our sins, the things that we did. You know, and then God's incredible forgiveness towards us compels us to forgive each other. You know, when I consider that and I consider how in life, you know, we hold on a thing that eats us up. We just need this reminder. Again, Paul's advice about forgiveness probably doesn't come naturally to any of us. It's not easy to forgive people who have hurt us, especially if those people are our family members. But by setting our mind, our heart, and the things of God and asking Him from the help of the Holy Spirit to, that you can forgive your family in the same way God has forgiven you. No matter how much you've been hurt, God still moves towards forgiveness. You see, now, even in, as we think of Ephesians 1, it says, Be an imitator of God, as dearly beloved children. He, he, he has this right before you know, this particular, you know, verse 32, and it starts, be imitators of God. And we are imitators because Christ forgave us. He gave, he forgave us. He gave us his son to die for us. So whoever it may be in your family, who, if it's a mom, a dad, a, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, whoever it may be, ask God to help you to forgive that person so that you can feel a relief that you can feel that you have said, you know what? I've done all I can in, in this and I've forgiven you. Again, as I, you know, we, we close this particular part and talk about forgiveness. Um, you know, I want to just remind you again of a movie that we have coming up uh, here at the church on um, July 5th at 7 p.m. Um, a Question of Faith is the name of this film. And the film is going to deal with families. It's going to deal with different issues in a family and how, you know, parents struggle with kids. And, and, you know, so, you know, so it goes on and on and how a pastor himself is struggling. And, you know, we I would encourage you, I would encourage you to, to come out and, and watch this film. Uh, tickets are for five dollars. And this is going to be a fundraiser to help our teens go to a camp this summer. But besides the money and, and despise that, I think it's a, a film that can really impact your family help you to see how to deal with conflict, help you to see how, you know, things are, are coming in your family, just as we have been dealing with over the la these last couple of weeks and how even we're talking about the last two weeks about forgiveness and how we need to recognize with that forgiveness, how Christ forgave us. And when we put God in the center of, of the forgiveness and we recognize what he has done, it will help us to forgive others. So again, I, I would challenge you. I would challenge you, you know, July 5th, a family time, a movie, 
for, to come along and, and to come watch and to fellowship, I would encourage you to to plan. And like I said, if you have any questions, you can you can call the church office at 326-0800. Um, you can ask for Pastor Nicholas, and I would be happy to to you know help you um, in this matter. But also, you know, just so that we as a Bahamian culture, we can rise up and be the family that God has called us to be, and help us to to forgive one another as we think of the feuds that we would forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. This is Pastor Nicholas in edition of You Talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning, Patrick Rutherford. Good morning, Pastor Rob. Good to see you again. Likewise. Just to remind our listeners, Patrick serves with Precept Ministries as the Regional Director for the Caribbean. We're going to visit together today, this morning, Patrick, on the joys of a Christian parent. And I know that you and Mona Lisa have four great kids. Now, here's a question for you. If any one of them asked you, Daddy, what do you most want from me? What would you say? I would tell them I want them to be rich so they can take care of Mommy and Daddy for the rest (laughs) of their lives. (laughs) Now, the, the one thing I would want for them is that they would develop a walk with God. It starts with having a personal relationship with Him. That's something we encourage them every day, every minute of the day, every opportunity that God provides for them, whether it's a successful event in their life or a failing event in their lives, is their walk with God. How do we, how do we respond? How do we respond? And, and is our walk going to be pleasing with God? That's so good. So success in the Christian home ought not to be measured by the world standards of educational achievement or income but rather by godliness and by a progressing uh, love and service for Jesus. Absolutely. My own viewpoint on it as a dad is that I want to raise children who eventually become independent of me and their mother in favor of being fully dependent on Jesus Christ. So true. So true. And so good. So that's a great ambition. Yes. Um, What would you say as a father is the best time or times to teach spiritual truth Every time. Every time. Pastor Rob, if I could share this real quick from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yes. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is talking to the congregation of Israel. And he says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses was saying, every opportunity you get, you should be reminding them, teaching them. That's the word diligent there. Taking every opportunity to teach God's word to you, to your children. So whether we're watching television, it's an environment rich for teaching God's truths, especially today. Uh, whether we're talking about what happened at school. Um, whether we're talking about if we're just hanging out in casual time on the beach or a walk or wherever in the food store. Um, it, every time is a target-rich environment to talk the truth of God's Word. Every time. That is so good. It's absolutely right. Uh, Patrick, earlier in your career, um, you've served in many settings in education, uh, private education, Christian education, and public education. And I want to focus in a bit on the uh, just the the Christian schools you've served in. We won't call their names. Mm-hmm. But you've been able, in that context, to observe, perhaps from a distance, quite a few Christian parents. Mm-hmm. 
And I wonder what trends you've seen in Christian parenting. Oh, there's been so many. Pastor Rob, I've taught in a few Christian schools. But um, I, I see Christian parents so much wanting their children to be perfect that the, 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 they go to great pains to make sure that their children appear to be perfect. Mm. Um, uh, and it may work right then, but down the road, that child does not know how to walk on their own, to make decisions on their own. Take, for example, just a simple project. Uh, parents would try to nowadays do the project for the child as opposed to having that child holding his hand and or her hand and watching them struggle through that. Um, uh, Christian parents today seem unwilling to allow their children to deal with the consequences of wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. um, usually it's something's wrong with the school yes. as opposed to something wrong that my child may have done. I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing or just the way the world is going. Um, but uh, Christian parent, well, parenting by itself is tough. Christian parenting becomes even tougher because of the world that we live in. We're just inundated with so much stuff. Um, and so you have little Johnny comes home and he wants a... Uh, a uh, headphone set like the other kids. Yes. Therein, there's some tension. Uh, little Sally comes home and she wants to go to a class party uh, on the weekend. Uh, there, there's going to be tension there. And how do you, as a Christian mom and a Christian dad, govern that? And so um, in, in our home, Pastor Rob, uh, for example, uh, anything that, that that is an emergency, that needs an emergency answer, our pet answer is no. And so, so the children know. If, if, if you're going to drop this thing on me at the last minute, it's a no. Oh, come on, Dad. Well, you, you know, you know, you know the rule. But as far as Christian parenting is concerned, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a hard world, Pastor Rob, because we are all in this bubble and everybody's watching our every move. And everybody today seems so afraid to make a mistake, including me. And so we have to get it right. Our children have to be on point. Uh, our houses and our yards have to be on point. I don't know, maybe it's a level of pride and that's sin, but it's, it's, it's of an insidious nature in such a way that the children aren't able to be children so right, to speak, you know, right, to learn through error and to get up from it and mm -hmm. get forgiveness if necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. I think what I've seen along the lines is what you've seen is is similar. But also, I, th I think I've also seen that some Christian parents view the church as the only entity that gives spiritual input to their kids. And they don't have any role to play in that, they think. Mm -hmm. And yet they are, even if they're doing nothing with Bible study or teaching prayer, they're teaching their kids. That church is only Sunday, and doesn't affect Monday to Saturday, and that's that's serious. Well, the, the same thing applies with the school, especially when you have Christian parents who send their children to Christian schools, and the expectation is that the school is going to make my child better. Mm -hmm. And again, it negates the responsibility of the parent to do or have any involvement with that child post the three o'clock hour when that child comes home. And yes, it, it's so true. The um, 
Going back to perfectionism mm-hmm. that you referenced, mm-hmm. if a parent is a perfectionist and really wants perfection from their children, uh, a thinking child realizes that's really a hypocritical position yeah. because no parent is perfect. No human is perfect. Mm-hmm. And if a parent uh, demands perfection from their child mm-hmm. and their child knows the parent is far from perfect, yeah. then it puts a, a discrediting hypocritical label, I'm afraid, on a lot of parental Christianity. Oh, Pastor Rob, i got to tell you this story real quick. Um, I, I like being on time. It's May your tribe increase. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sunday mornings are probably the most challenging of all Sundays because, you know, being in ministry, you can't get to church late. And so it's I frowned upon. <laughs> it's frowned upon. And so here I am. I'm harassing Mona Lisa. Come on. Why are you running late? Why you got to put on? Uh, why you got to fix? We can do this in the car. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And I'm harassing them. I'm tormenting them. We throw them in the car. We get to church, and there's not a word being said in church because everyone's still upset with me because <laughs> I've used names and calling names and badgering them, and everybody's still trying to recover. And we get into the church parking lot, and you see another adult, and they're like, Hi, Brother Rutherford, and bless the Lord for my soul. <laughs> and they're looking at me as if I'm the biggest hypocrite, which I am, because here I am, I've been berating them, going after them, not edifying them at all. And then I turn to my son and I tell him, stop teasing your sister or mm. stop, you know, stop being so critical. So, um, again, there, there is this transparency, Pastor Rob, that's needed within Christian parenting. Um, there is that vulnerability that is needed within Christian parenting. Listen, mom is, mommy's not going to always make the right decision. Daddy's not going to always make the right decision. The decisions we do make, we're going to make it prayerfully, and we're going to make it in the best interest of the whole family. And we're all going to have to live with it. And uh, people are even unwilling to do that, Pastor Rob. But again, it starts with mom and dad making certain that they're in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, someone told it to me this way. Your family will go only as far as you've been with the Lord. It's true. It's a scary thought. That's true. I think that kind of... uh Vulnerability requires honesty. Mm-hmm. It requires um, seeking the best for your children and not for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it involves seeking God's glory. Well, this is very helpful. Of yes. course, it's a huge topic. Yes, and none is. of us, um, none of us, I think, could say, well, I'm doing it just fine. But we can call out to God. We can d- d- dig into his word and we can get the help we need to be the influence that we want to be. And Absol- God wants us to be. Absolutely. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.